0: Welcome to the Husband Material podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Welcome to Husband Material. Today on the show, I have Dr. Ken McGill, certified sexual addiction therapist, and a wonderful man of God. Ken, I was so encouraged to find out about you through ITAP, the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals, where we both trained. And you're in Dallas, Texas, where I
1: used to live. Thank you, Drew. Right back at you as well. I appreciate who you are and what you're doing with husband material also. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Mm -hmm. what you do during the day. Okay. Um, Ken McGill, and uh, should God keep me around, you know, until September, I will celebrate the 60th year. Um, and as part of the 60 years for 31 of those years, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Leslie. Um, she's actually from Southern California as well. And as we spent 20 years out there together, our kids were born out there. Uh, we have a son, Gabriel, who is, uh, uh, 21 and a half. He is a senior. He'll be graduating actually this year is, uh, one heck of a leader. He's a great academician, as well as he's also captain, football team, preseason All-American. So really proud of him. And he's a, a student at Wheaton College, which I know you have a little bit of familiarity there with That's as right. well. And uh, and as I mentioned before that, um, you know, in 2008, you know, our daughter, Marissa, went home to be with the Lord, you know, so, uh, you know, she, she departed quickly in an automobile accident. And. And as a way of, you know, just loving her and uh, keeping her memory alive, one of the things that she wanted to do was to be a missionary. And so uh, missionary specifically to Africa. So uh, something that my wife and I have, you know, partnered with and Gabriel's a part of this, and now our church is part of this and, and people around the country is to develop something called Marissa's House Projects where we help to build a school in Ethiopia, but then also a church home that houses Uh, orphans um, in Uganda. And so uh, today that that work has grown to about four orphanages, church homes, and uh, a number of different projects. So, so, um, you know, God is amazing in terms of how he gets his work done. I I don't think that this is a way that I probably would have written the script, but I'm glad that Marissa is home. I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to kind of at least love her and carry on her life's, you know, wish, you know, through the unique way that we have done. So, uh, with that, um, I am in my office. Uh, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, full-time private practice in uh, Plano, Texas. Plano is a suburb of Dallas, about 25 miles to the north. And um, my specialty is addictions, and even more specific is sex addiction. And uh, I love what I do. you know, I have a passion for helping people who uh, somehow, one way or the other, unfortunately, may have uh, encountered sexually compulsive behavior where they've hurt themselves, hurt their marriage, their family. And and my passion is to meet them where they're at and uh, with clinical as well as theological to assist them if they're willing to, you know, look at issues in their life as well as maybe even rebuild their marriage. So...
0: And that's really what I want to talk about today, is bringing Mm -hmm. together this Christ-centered foundation that we have in Jesus, in scripture, in theology, together with clinical psychology. And you have your doctorate in clinical psychology, and you've lived Mm -hmm. in these two worlds, and you've seen all Mm -hmm. kinds of stories over the years. Mm -hmm. But for you personally, how did you get into the world of trauma and sexual addiction?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And so, um, my mentor, Dr. Patrick Carnes, he's actually the guy who, yes, yes, he's the guy who coined the term sex addiction, you know, modern day times. Uh, He wrote a book out of the shadows in 1983, and I think it's in its third edition. Uh, But Pat calls uh, sex addiction a pathological relationship with mood-altering behavior and sex being the mood-altering behavior. And, and I can identify with that, you know, because um, I'm a person in recovery with sex addiction, and I became aware of, I, I my, uh, became engaged in compulsive sexual behavior at a very young age to medicate uh, some traumatic things that had happened in my own life and my family of origin I'm an adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Um, The abuse happened when I was uh, four years old. Um, And it wasn't like ritual. It would happen one time, but sometimes once is all that is necessary. Um, You know, being raised and born in Chicago, and I remember there were experiences. It was such a highly sexualized environment. Um, South side of Chicago, kids um you know adults who were uh, all kinds of forms of talk as well as behaviors that a small kid four or five year old didn't know how to process but you know i was certainly exposed to it and it made an impact and i remember uh you know one particular painful episode where uh i remember i went upstairs you know where uh, our apartment was at in my I, I said a word, five letter word begins in a P and ends in a Y, you know, and uh, a couple of S's in there. And uh, I said it to my mom and she said, what did you say? And I said it again, you know, I had no idea what I was saying, you know, and then she, you know, she slapped me and she said, boy, don't you ever say that word unless, you know, cat is on the end of it, you know, and I remember that and I can viscerally even remember it now. And, you know, to me, Um, there was something about, you know, that behavior, what it meant. And eventually I'd stumbled upon it, you know, where, uh, unfortunately I also crossed a boundary and did something to someone else when I was seven years old, uh, totally regret, you know, but in, in the arena of sexual abuse and, uh, eventually I found, uh, pornography to where, you know, again, with the pain of the slap and then the shame connected to my behavior, I just suppressed, I kept things silent, I kept things secretive, Um, but I also connected with um, the pornography and eventual masturbation and uh, other forms of pornography. Um, Sexualized pictures was actually the first part of it, but eventually kind of graduated to pornography. Um, And actually at 13, I knew that I was a sex addict, you know, and and I knew that, you know, something, I didn't have a name for it, but I just knew that. Once I found this process, it was mine and it helped me when I felt disempowered because I was an African American uh, and being raised in Texas and in the 60s and then 70s and you know the words said and so forth um, you know those things hurt and uh, you know again if I had all kinds of thoughts and things of that nature to kind of keep to myself you um, you know, again, that slap was something you don't share a whole lot about your personal feelings, or you might get hurt behind it, uh, or the things that you do that you're secretive and shameful about, you're probably not going to share with anyone else about it. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that, you know, started, you know, a two to three decade, you know, experience where uh, I stumbled with, you know, the sexually compulsive behavior, and you know, as a ways, like I said, in terms of trying to medicate, escape, anesthetize, and, uh You know, unfortunately, yeah, it it ravaged myself and other people too.
0: And so when you talk about sex addiction Mm -hmm. as a mood altering behavior, it was your way of feeling something when you couldn't feel anything or to not feel something that you didn't want to feel.
1: You're absolutely right. And I think that, uh, You know, personal experience within the clinical is that um, some people will engage in the behavior on the one hand to escape, to anesthetize, to self-medicate, to uh, even mood alter, you know, um, because if, in fact, maybe there's depression or anxiety, well, you know, once one engages in the uh, sexually compulsive behavior, that's certainly going to alter whatever mood you're in. But then on the other hand, people will engage in the behavior for other reasons in order to, um, conquest, feel empowered, if you will, because mm-hmm. it is pleasurable behavior. Uh, albeit there's a lot of pain and consequence that kind of comes with it but too.
0: So when you talked about feeling disempowered as a black man, porn fit perfectly into that puzzle.
1: Yes. Yes. That was, uh, that was the, um, piece that I found, you know, um, Certainly, there were other things as well, you know, in terms of sports or um, actually even becoming a Christian when I was 17 years old, um, but, but there was always the secret, you know, yeah. the secret that I kept. And uh, there could have been other things, good music, whatever, college, graduate in high school, college, But uh, but there was always, you know, that other secret lingering around. And... And Unless I address that secret, you know, fully wholeheartedly, uh, I wasn't going to experience any form of healing in my life. Yeah.
0: And now's the part where I really want to get into some of the objections and some of the mm. issues that people might be having when we're talking about things like trauma and woundedness mm-hmm. and healing. What about the bible's view of all this isn't mm-hmm. porn a sin isn't it an aspect of moral failure and why are we talking about healing why aren't we seeing it as uh someone who has rebelled against god and needs to repent like any other sin
1: yeah well you know 1 corinthians i think it's 6:18 is kind of clear you know, that he who sins sexually sins against their own body. And so, um, you know, when people come into the office, they may even know that scripture. And yet they may also be carrying a lot of guilt and shame connected to failing, you know, the, uh, the directives of that scripture. So my job as a believer, but even as a Christian, and to integrate those two is to meet the person and to look at, well, let's take a look at that scripture and the application of it how have you hurt your body what hurts in your body when did it start happening as well and <clears throat> what is the role of pornography affairs or masseuses and things of that nature you know that you have somehow found as a way to maybe uh, on the face of it medicate or escape or treat you know but yet at the end of the day this could be a maladaptive way you know of of treating, you know, the hurt, the wound, the guilt, the weight of the sin. Yeah. And subsequently, therapy can help them to think about there could be another way.
0: If healing comes from God, mm-hmm. healing from trauma, healing from sin, then what's the point of treatment whether it's group psychotherapy or individual counseling? How does that fit into what we believe about God as the healer?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, God and Jesus are the best transformers. And, and what happens in this office is I see this office in my role as a crucible, you know, and in the crucible, when you think about a crucible, um, whatever goes into that crucible goes in in one state, you know, uh, but yet when it exits, the hope is that it's a different state, a different condition, whether that's one hour or as in the case with many people that I work with months. And years of work in order to do the arduous work of rebuilding a marriage. So, so God is definitely present, and uh, and I welcome Him here. I welcome him here long before I get to the office through prayer and and seeking His guidance. Uh, but at the same time, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've also acquired uh, through school a lot of clinical acumen, skills, tools, and so that is there as well. And so, God wants to heal. I mean. Um, My gosh, you know, um, therapists, you know, actually, we're in the Bible. I'm not certain if you are aware of this, but yet in Matthew 10, 1 and 8, when Jesus sends the 770 out and he says, hey, guys, I want you to guys to go out and raise the dead. You know, well, I I don't think I've I've never done that. You know, I might later this afternoon, but yet (laughs) I've not done that. You know, Um, uh, heal those who are leprous. You know, I haven't done that. I know I work in the healing profession. But he also says then, but I want you to heal the sick. And that is something mm. I can do. Why is that? Because heal is the Greek word therapeuo. And the yeah. therapon provides the therapia, the process that goes on in this crucible in the office. And hopefully the outcome is therapeu or therapeutic. So but I've also come to realize that. Uh, and this is, you know, again, God doing his job, but then also him uh, equipping me to do my job through the power of the Spirit, too. That Therapeu has ingredients of uh, uh, accept, attending, I'm sorry, uh, care, providing appropriate care, uh, attention, help, service, minister to oneself, but then also, interestingly, minister to other people, you know, in order to effect healing. And so, um, you know, God wants to heal, but he also wants and needs, you know, people, men, women, clinicians Mm -hmm. to uniquely understand, you know, the same wounds and the depth of those wounds that he knows and he gets into and thankfully through the power of the spirit. And he did say in John 16, hey, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give you the spirit, you know, and he's going to teach you and educate you and remind you of the things that I want you to do. And compassion, You know, for uh, a person is one of those things, empathy, sympathy, compassion, healing, um, as well as conviction, encouragement, empowerment, guidance, leading, you know, through the office of the Holy Spirit as well. So all of that happens, you know, in here. And I do my best to try to stay out of God's way, but at the same time to, you know, pray that God... Help, help my words to be your words. You know, let me mm-hmm. hear what you hear and let me see what you see. And and, and if that kind of readies my head and my heart for the work that I know that he wants to do and, and needs to do whenever there's heartache and devastation like uh, brought I upon by that. sex addiction.
0: I love mm-hmm. that. It's not an either or. It's not either I'm going to follow Jesus and be led by the Spirit and I won't gratify the sins of the flesh or Mm -hmm. I'm going to get some kind of professional help. There can be a both and. Um, Mm -hmm. Jesus used all kinds of things to heal people. He used
1: mud. (laughs) I mean. Yes. Right. So Yes. Words, people touching their cloth, being in his presence, hearing his sermons, you know, the words does matter, you know, mm -hmm. as well as, uh, of course, yeah, the the power of the spirit, you know, uh, coming on people. So, when we're dealing with all
0: of these different dimensions of our brokenness, you talked about the different tools that we have. We have, on the one hand, spiritual tools like the Bible, the gospel, prayer, worship, church. And then on the other hand, we have clinical tools, more based on neuroscience and attachment research Mm -hmm. and... Mm different treatments for trauma and family systems. So when you're working with Christian men who step into your office, how do you decide which tools to use?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, as I, as I mentioned a little earlier, um, usually, and this has been the way it's been for, my gosh, since um, I was thinking about it the other day, uh, even when I was practicing in Long Beach, and that was back in ninety two ninety four ninety six and so on um, but when I would drove from um, the West side to my practice site, I would usually turn the radio off because and just you know prepare my head, my heart to think about the people that were coming in, what their needs were. Uh, what their treatment issues were, but at the same time to not have the radio and as much as possible the traffic to distract me from hearing from God. Because, um, and usually God showed up, imagine that, you know, um, and, and reveal things that, you know, that he dropped in my head, my heart, that, you know, I kind of brought into the, the hour, the treatment hour with that, that person or that couple or that family. Um, so prayer, you know, the practice of a spiritual discipline, you know, and silence, you know is another uh discipline that that helped. Clearly, I love to study, you know, and for me, study was a spiritual discipline where I just hear from God, worship. if there was those few times where I would turn the radio on, there could be some you know uh, worship music going on and uh and I you know, I would hear I hear from God through that, so but at the same time, It's usually the silence in the study that he would pull from me. And subsequently, you know, as I listened to the person, I would typically ask, you know, if it's a theological piece, um, certainly even sometimes a psychological, but certainly a theological. um, Is it okay for me to kind of introduce a scripture or a biblical principle? Um, I don't think I've ever had anyone say no. And, And I would just, you know, kind of thoughtfully share, you know, scripture with them as it relates to the psychological principle or life issue that they um, were, were experiencing. But um, I found, Drew, that, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe the last, maybe it's my own growth, but the last two years or so, I've just been asking God, help me to see people, you know, with your eyes, help me to hear them, you know, in terms of the way you hear. And then help the words to kind of come out of my mouth, be your words. And with I think the Holy Spirit comes, he pulls the stuff from the, you know, cabin or the shelf of my mind. And when it comes out, you know, hopefully and, and more than likely, yeah. you know, it's to be the appropriate intervention, you know, for that is needed.
0: So would you say that your training in clinical psychology has helped you to see more of what God
1: sees? I think it's again the the combination of both. Um the clinical, you can't you 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 can't excuse yourself. You gotta prepare, you know. And uh as I mentioned to this one couple, I said, Look, I'm gonna do my job, you know, and and uh we are talking about open heart surgery, you know, when we think about all that goes yeah. on in the heart that needs to be addressed. And I don't I don't do surgery with a butter knife, you know. I, I have mm-hmm. skills and tools and so yeah. And I mentioned to them, I don't, I don't need you guys to you know become a psychologist, but I do need you sure. to look at some of the tools that I'm bringing to the table, uh, mm-hmm. whether I wrote it or someone else wrote it, and just be, have an awareness and maybe even hopefully through the weeks, months, uh, proficiency, because I have confidence in the tools as well. So if in fact, maybe I do my job and they do theirs, then we're going to survive, you know, a pretty, you know, painful set of experiences, you know, at least I know that, uh, God's going to help me to do my part. And uh, and if they're not reckless, if they're attentive, and most of the time people are, you know, they're here because they want to heal or they, they want some help, then uh, good things will happen as a result of that combination.
0: Yeah. It's so beautiful when we get a front row seat to that yeah. transformation. <laughs> it's true. Could you share a story yeah. or two of mm. a time when it felt like God clearly showed up in the room?
1: Yeah um yeah there's there's interesting um Friday. I know that today is Monday, but yet Friday, I had a woman in the office here, and um you know, she came in and she said that she had so much shame over um an affair that she had been involved in, initiated, and it, it unfortunately it led to the dissolution of the marriage and um some thirty years ago. Uh, and that shame, the weight of you know that behavior was something that she's carried through the decades. You can imagine, you know. And so um, you know, as a I asked her, she would like to permission, you know, if I could share this uh, scripture and it happened to be my favorite scripture, John eight uh, two through eleven, the um, adulterous woman or the self-righteous men, you know, and that that passage of scripture. She actually didn't know, you know uh, that scripture. And so I began telling the story. And, uh, you know, of course, there's a number of points that are made, you know, in that scripture um, that where there were men who wanted to hurt, harm this woman, they thought that perhaps maybe because of the behaviors that she had engaged in, uh, she deserved to die, you know, and uh, and I said that to the woman, Jesus, Jesus said, look, you know, there's, there's not going to be. A convict, you know, here today. There's going to be a conviction, but there's not going to be a convict. We're not going to mm-hmm. convict someone and then put her to death and 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 press in this presence. And so uh, he made the statement as I shared with her: "Let he who is without sin cast the first stone." And you know, I uh, kind of just you know, you did my head and you know, drop the rock because we had talked about that that phrase earlier. You know, hopefully you can drop the rock that you have been carrying because. You know, God, who doesn't want to convict you, encourage that, you know, and I said, yeah, those guys woke up and, you know, I think they may have realized, you know, in a moment when he's, when they heard Jesus say that, I'm a farmer, I didn't, I'm not someone, some homicidal maniac, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I have a, a job to do, but at the same time, I think they realize that they live in a glass house, like we all do too, so I don't have any right to kind of throw rocks at another person. And the interesting thing about that to shame. And it, Dr. Carnes helped me to realize this, and I've kind of done some other readings about it. But shame is a dehumanizing emotion. You know, it, um, it, it, it picks at, it erodes the very value and worth that a human being has just because they're a human being and a creation and child of God. And so taken to an extreme, uh, rage is projected shame on from one person to another individual. And so those guys were raging at this woman. And so why? Maybe they have their own sexual sin, you know, that they were convicted about in that moment. But, you know, stoning another person wasn't the answer of the day, you know, but that was only half the story. So I didn't go to that much detail with the person on Friday, but, you know, but then I said, you know, but there's another part too. And he said, Woman who condemns you, you know, who, uh, the Greek word is katakrino, you know, and and we get our word criminal from that. So woman who criminalizes you, you know, after all of this stuff. And remarkably, she said, uh, the woman said in the story, no one. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And and sometimes I take a little liberty with that scripture, um, but I'll say, go and learn how to live. And, you know, as the woman, you know, through her tears in my office, I think she dropped the rock, you know, and, Mm. and I know, because I know that there's a clinical uh, relationship with her. Um, She's actually a psychotherapist, but yet she realizes that, you know, I need to learn how to live without the weight of the shame. Um, Obviously the lesson has been learned years, you know, through the years as well. And, uh, and so that was one of those moments where, I just see God showing up, you know, and and once again, you know, the, the heart of the law is mercy, you know, so mm-hmm. people may need a little bit of mercy. Mercy, the word of it, means to alleviate suffering. And so oh, um, I love that. people have, whether they were abused, sex addiction, whatever behaviors, I think God just wants to alleviate the suffering and help oh. them to learn how to live.
0: Oh. He's not just focused on our sin, yeah he's concerned he knows about it but with our entire experience, yeah. with our yes. rage, with our shame, with our suffering, mm-hmm. and at the end, after his grace and his mm-hmm. mercy has mm-hmm. come in full force, then he says, "Go and sin no more, go and learn how to live." right That's empowering. Mm
1: -hmm. So, so you're right. I got to see that first town and, uh, and every day, you know, I've seen, um, you know, I will say they are miracles because there are some reasons where some people, um, you know, people have double affairs and things like that, you know, and them doing the work and it's not an easy, uh, leg of work or journey, but, you know, I remember one, they, they still send Christmas cards, you know? And so, um, yeah. So I'm I'm thankful that God has used me, um, you know, in my role here as a psychotherapist, you know, so.
0: I'm thankful too. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. And before we talk a little bit more about your resources, what is your favorite thing about freedom from porn?
1: Hmm. You know, um, a couple of things. Um, I get to be a part of this process because there was one part of my life um, where I lived as an unhealed wounder, you know, kind of playing on Henry Nowlin's words. Um, a lot of people got wounded by my actions, but today, and thankfully I'm on the other side of that, I get to live as a wounded healer and as a wounded healer, I don't necessarily, uh, have, I mean, the enemy wants to steal, kill, thwart and all that process, but, you know, he doesn't, I don't have to be a party and privy to, uh allowing him to distract you know the work that god wants to do in me and through me with uh with other people so that's one of the gifts of and i think the other one more closer to home is that um, in some of the materials uh, my studies have helped me to realize that there are 10 words for agape and one of those words is prize and i reference first john 9 uh, 24 through the rest of the chapter i think um, run in such a way that you get the prize, you know, and the prize that he was talking about was an honor and a gift that was awarded to only one person. Only one person got the gold medal. Only one person got the first place blue ribbon. Only one person, you know, finished the race in that position. And for me, it's my wife, it's Leslie, because we are the crowning achievement of God. And if he wants me to love my neighbor as I love myself and through processes of not just being a clinician, but yet being a, a human being and a Christian, uh, I've learned how to love and I enjoy loving my wife and porn got in the way of that process, but today she gets the prize. She's the only one who gets the gold medal, you know? So that's one of the other benefits. of
0: Beautiful. And you talk about cultivating love. That is the title of your series of books on mm-hmm. cultivating love in all kinds of different ways. And I'm going to put a link to those in the show notes. And then yes. you also have your website and your blog with lots of awesome articles. And I'm going to include those two. Thank cool. you so much for joining us today and helping us wrap our minds around the way that God and all of these other tools can come together in helping us heal.
1: You're very welcome, Drew. Thank you. And I'm glad to partner with you, you know, to um, make husbands, families, and legacies strong.
0: Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. And for everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son, and in you, he's well-pleased.